So our final keynote of the day will be from the incredibly impressive Dr. Grace Olibodi, uh, who's the creator of the multi-award-winning Race to Infinity Maths board game series, which is featured on BBC News and BBC World. I'll have to check if it's been featured in the Times or not, and if not, we'll have to fix that. Um, she's also author of the Make a Maths Fun book, which I need to share with my five-year-old daughter as soon as possible. So, Grace, please come up and join us on stage. Thank, thank you very you. much. The stage is yours. All right, thank you. Thank you. Not sure about the clicker. Green for go. Green for go. Oh, they'll do it. Yeah. No, if you just press the green one. Oh, okay. Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, my absolute pleasure to be with you today, uh, speaking about glowing, going global. So I've been asked to share some experiences about what we've been through during COVID and Brexit and how we've navigated some of that. So um, as you already know, I'm Dr. Grace Alukbodi and I'm founder and CEO of Begenio. We create maths games for kids and we help children reduce mathematical anxiety. So a bit of my story, just to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, my story started from way back um, when I was 10 years old, which was only 10 years ago. Hopefully you guys can see that. Um, and um, over a summer, my father, he made math fun and creative for me. Um, I was an average C student uh, with mathematical anxiety in primary school up until the end of primary school. Then we had this summer um, where he supported me with maths. Then I got into secondary school just in September after the summer, and I couldn't believe it at the end of the year uh, when they called out the name of the person who'd won the maths prize, and you wouldn't believe that was me. Out of over 300 students, I actually thought there was a clerical error. Um, but that you know, gave me a lot of confidence, and it, it shot my confidence up so much so that I then started seeing that actually there is no such thing as a maths person. Maths is only really a skill, and any skill just needs deliberate practice with the right guardians. And so um, that led me to go on to university. Uh, studied, I studied computing, and I always say that I kind of orchestrated my first class degree just by choosing the more maths-like units, so I kind of played to my strengths. But then while I was at university, I was volunteering with Tower Hamlets Education BP, and I was helping going into schools, helping children who were struggling with maths build their maths confidence through just through games and through creative ways. Um, but then I realized that there was a big problem around children and mathematics. And I realized that too many children hate maths, don't believe that they can get good at it, and they find it a boring chair. Um, actually, the maths problem in the UK costs the UK economy over £20 billion a year and over a trillion dollars in America. So I set aside trying to solve this problem, and I started thinking about creating games and resources for children that make maths fun and help them learn without realizing that they're learning. In 2003, I made it my mission to help 10 million children reduce mathematical anxiety, and I made it my vision to turn mathematics into a game that every child would love to play every time. Fast forward many years, in that time, I'd done my master's in financial markets, 
become an investment banker by trade. I'm actually a Java programmer by trade, which is a programming language. So yes, I am a geek. I know I don't look like one, but I am one. Um, and so this passion uh, eventually led me on to achieve a few things. In 2017, I launched my first game uh, called Race to Infinity. And from then on, which is also when I started Beginio, and from then on, I've been fortunate to achieve quite a few things. Um, in 2019, I was given an honorary doctorate by London Metropolitan University in recognition of helping children fall in love with mathematics. I'm a Department for International Trade Expert Champion in 2020 and 2021. Um, a few other things like speaking on the BBC about the game, uh, won the Royal Borough of Greenwich Business Awards um, in 2019, uh, a couple of other awards like the Women Inspiring Women Awards, and I've been fortunate to speak on quite a few platforms, including Department for International Trade, London School of Economics, Barclays, and the UK FCDO. So this is just, uh, that's just a quick rundown of some of our existing products. Uh, Race to Infinity is the lower left. Yeah, from your side, it would be left. Lower left one uh, called Race to Infinity. And then we've got a few other uh, math games as well and other resources. So. In 2019, just over two years uh, into the business, everything was going great, and we were winning awards, and you know had a great license in place, and you know speaking in different places, and all that, and something happened. There was COVID. So I remember coming out of the Greenwich Business Awards um, as a judge with the current mayor, actually. Uh, so I was, a, I was a judge along with her. She was a head judge. And I remember that the week or the week afterwards, COVID happened immediately, just as we were starting to build you know, some partnerships and starting to connect with the sort of people that we needed to help us get to the next level. And then I watched while the whole world started to stock up on toilet rolls. And I thought, okay, what do I do? Should I join the world in stocking up on toilet rolls? Or should I sit down and find out how this was going to move forward? I had a mission, remember, to help 10 million children achieve math uh, reduce mathematical anxiety. And then I sat down with my team and I thought, you know what? Don't worry about toilet rolls. We can always use water. Let's, let's do something about the games um, that we created. So then we set out to create more games and we ended up creating five new games during the COVID period. Um, we won two grants and then we started pushing forward on our augmented reality app. And so I just wanted to first of all mention a few learning points that we learned along the way through Brexit and COVID. Brexit we expected and COVID we did not. Actually, I thought it was going to be about three months, so I can't believe that two years on, we're still not quite out of it yet. But some of the things that I learned in that time uh, is one to do with funding. Um, if it is your intention to fund, to get funded, whether through investments or through grants, start ASAP. It always takes longer than you think. The other thing I realized is that it was important to keep innovating. And this is where the research and development came in, where we continued to create all the programs that we were creating. Um, manufacturing, if you're manufacturing, if you're into physical products, then it's always important to think about where you're actually doing that manufacturing. In hindsight, it would have been better for us to actually manufacture in the USA. But of course, we didn't know that at the time. Now going forward, it's all about 
future-proofing, what happens then if you are running a business and something else like this happens in future? How do you mitigate those kind of things? And it's important where you've got a manufacturer to think about those sort of things. Suppliers, same thing, not too far off. You know, you might find yourself in circumstances out of control. So again, it's future-proofing. What do you do when you find yourself in that sort of situation? And of course, always pivot, pivot, pivot. So I'm just going to mention how we, um, just a bit about how we managed to turn around some of these uh, problems that we had. So we switched to non-physical activity and we started to build uh, some of the programs that we knew that we would be running when COVID finished. Three, three months later, which is what we thought. Um, and so we put our programs in place for inter-school tournaments. We started to work on our augmented reality app. Um, it's an app to digitize Race to Infinity. We were very fortunate to be funded by the European Regional Development Fund. Um, and this app is um, supposed to help Race to Infinity in such a way that children can use it without realizing that they are learning math, so they would think they're playing. So it's really just a game but then they're being assessed at the same time and they're, being, they're learning their timetable and practicing their timetable and teachers will be getting reports on exactly how the children are doing, especially where the statutory timetable check is concerned. Um, we were fortunate as well to get some grant funding from Peabody Trust for our tournaments and Berkeley Homes as well. And so we set out to continue also strengthening relationships from where we were, international relationships, really. Uh, we couldn't travel, so um, we ended up doing a lot of things with our uh, partners in the in Far East. Um, although we ran into some problems to do with duty raises when some of the stock that we were trying to send to India got there as well. You know, duties were like double what we actually originally planned for. And this is all due to COVID. Um, and a lot of the other things. We were working also with our licensing in the Middle East to strengthen that relationship all in that time. So we, all in all, we ended up coming out of COVID um, with some, well, hopefully we've, we're coming out. Um, we, we, we ended up coming um, out with some great results um, in terms of impact validation, particularly. Um, our partnership with University of Greenwich, uh, we've been going into school, well, we've not been physically going. So schools have been playing the game once a week with the same set of children and then seeing how the children are improving in their timetables and other things, especially where numeracy is concerned in terms of the three key aims of a national curriculum, which are fluency, uh, reasoning and problem solving. Uh, we've also started working with a research partner in the USA that we're trying to build up to, to also do the same thing in schools in the USA. Um, and of course, our inter-school tournaments, um, which is what the partnership with Peabody Trust and Berkeley Homes is culminating into, and that's going to hold next week. And again, we planned all of this during COVID. And, and so these are some of the partnerships that we strengthened in that time just from home, really, and online. So this is to just encourage you that you can do the same. I'm hoping that you can take one or two tips from some of the things that we have, um, we have done during COVID. Uh, the Peabody Trust, also, um, one of the things that we were, we were able to do was help children who, were, who had, who had a, a, a delay just because, well, more like a learning gap just because of COVID-19 to, to, to help them to start to catch up. And that's the European uh, Regional Development Fund that I mentioned before, and the reports that we're getting. So what the augmented reality app will do is that it would link the physical world with the, with the digital world. And again, this is all starting to be built during COVID and still being built. 
and that's a bit more about the University of Greenwich partnership. So I'll just circle back to the learning points that I mentioned earlier, um, and I hope you can take one or two tips away from here. Uh, and one is funding. Um, if you're trying to raise investment and you can't raise investment in time, then you might want to look at grants because that's one of the things that we did in that time and we were very lucky to have gotten some of those grants and now we can do some very strong strong things um, with our products. Uh, R&D, as I mentioned earlier, you know, investing in your offering, uh, where your manufacturers are and looking at how do you future-proof that and how do you make sure that next time you don't have the same problem. So we're now going to be manufacturing in three different countries, three different parts of the world, just in case, because you never know. Um, suppliers, again, it's about planning up front. And uh, the last thing I would say is always, always be ready to pivot. So um, that's it from me. Um, be great to hear from you. These are my contact details, grace at easymatskills.com. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn if you want to ask any questions, collaborate, want to go into schools, um, do some sort of research work, take us into another country research-wise and helping children fall in love with maths, I'll be very grateful. Thanks very much. Thank you very much, Grace. Amazing shoes. Let's just uh, check out those shoes. They're incredible. Um, so I would like to hear a little bit more about kind of how you got started, because I always find it absolutely fascinating that really incredible, inspiring people like you have this idea, this kind of crazy out there idea. Uh, I'm sure many people told you not to do it, that you're mad, go and get a proper job, etc. Um, but how you took that from where you are today. So how do you get over that and those initial kind of hurdles to get off the starting blocks? Can you cast your mind back to then? Yeah, um, I think that some of this, uh, it, I think part of it also is always the imposter syndrome. So apart from also being told that you can't do it, there's also the imposter syndrome to deal with. So even before I was told that I couldn't do it, I kind of didn't feel that I could do it either because then there was also always this thing inside me thinking, well, who told you that you're the one who can create a game that would help children learn without realising that they're learning and help them improve with measured progress? And then on top of that, everyone else saying the same. And again, I would circle back to always that mission. I had this thing inside of me where I sometimes literally couldn't sleep because I wanted to help children love maths more, enjoy maths more, and I didn't feel that it was right that children were suffering with mathematical anxiety because that was my experience to an extent until 10 years old, but that changed and I saw what that did for me, um, just giving me opportunities in life. So what, for anybody who doesn't know, and I'm sorry if this is a stupid question, I've made a career out of asking stupid questions, so I think that's okay, please indulge me. <laughs> what is maths anxiety? How does it manifest itself? Yeah. Um, mathematical anxiety is a, a type of anxiety or a type of feeling that, that comes with, um, and it's not just children, I was going to say children just now, but it's children, adults, anyone, um, that comes with anything to do with them. them well, it, it comes when people feel like they're about to do any sort of maths. And it's a, it's a type of worry that then manifests itself in things like faster heart rates or um, lump in the throat, sweaty palms, just things that don't really physically, you can't really physically see, but they feel it on the inside and it just, you know, a knot in the tummy. That sort of thing, that's what mathematical anxiety is. And I think for children, it really leads on to low confidence a lot of the time and, um, and it can affect their life and their future. And so um, when I was volunteering in, in schools and, you know, 
from years ago, many, many years ago. I won't tell you how long, when I was at university. Ten um, years ago, that's right. That's what I heard <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that was ten years. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot it was ten years ago. Um, yeah, I saw these children. They'll come into the classroom in which we had come to help them every week, and they'll come in like this, like, yeah, where they, where they, where they dumb ones, where they, where the ones not too smart. But after a few weeks of, of us just spending time with them, playing games and helping them increase their confidence, and we had a little method around it that we were taught, um, but it was an easy enough method. And then the kids, after about six weeks onwards, um, their teachers were telling us that they were raising their hands up in class, they were getting engaged a bit more, and then they'll come in, they'll come running in after about six weeks onwards to come and meet us every week because their confidence was raised. Uh, and so, yeah, just turning that mathematical anxiety around is, you know, is one of the things that I thought of. Do you think there's something broken fundamentally in the way that we teach maths in school? Um, <laughs> your response already tells me probably everything I need to know. But, and obviously you'd be out of a job if these guys were fantastic at it, then you wouldn't need to have your company anymore. So perhaps, you know, yeah, share your, share your thoughts with us on that. Yeah, I think maths is very often taught as a rigid set of rules. And so um, because it's not a, a lot of the time related to real life enough, um, then children just can't, you know, they, they just don't have that support to help them. And then in some cases, any adults around them, like parents or even teachers sometimes, are worried about maths themselves. So then it's, it's, it's hard for them to then give confidence to somebody else when they don't really have it. Mm -hmm. um, and so in terms of how maths is taught in schools, there's a lot of rigidity around it and it needs to be loosened up a little bit more and made a bit more fun, you know, like a game. Mm-hmm. They should be playing a game. It's interesting what you're saying about the kind of practical applications as well, isn't it? Because there's not anything taught about kind of financial management and all those sorts of things in schools. Raise your hands if you enjoyed maths in school. <laughs> I can put my, oh, no. mine down. There we go. We need your help more than ever. It's clear. Um, so tell us, obviously, you're very inspiring. I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking that. Who was your inspiration when you were kind of growing up? And how important do you think it is to have those role models? <coughs> Wow, that's a really tough question. My inspiration was my dad, where Matt was concerned. Of course, several other people were inspiring to me in other fields, but where Matt was concerned, my father was. And it was just because of that, you know, it was a great surprise, it was a pleasant surprise, but it was just the shock I got at the end of the year when they called out the person who'd won the Matt's prize and they called out my name, and it couldn't be. It couldn't be me, I'm not one of the Matt's kids, you know? So I would say my dad in terms of where Matt's is concerned. Mm -hmm. And what about other role models? And do you have any business role models? Because I saw, I, I heard a stat the other day that only 11% of teenage girls in this country can name a female entrepreneur, which is just, you know, sorry to bring the mood down, guys, but that's a bit depressing, isn't it? So, and I know the numbers are even lower with um, non-white founders. So how important do you take your role as well as a role model for the next generation? Um, I mean, it's, it is sad, but by the way, that um, you know the statistics are like that, and I think it's very important that we women, not just me, but as women, you know, we should go and share some of these stories in schools. I'm part of a, an organisation called Inspiring the Futures, um, and I volunteer for them, and we go into schools and we help children link their um, their studies to like real life careers, 
mm-hmm. um, because a lot of them uh, sometimes say, oh, I want to be a footballer, and I want to be a dancer, I want to be a singer and a musician. Yeah, and those are great, but what percentage of those people actually make it? And so uh, we go in as real people saying, hey, I'm a Java programmer, I, I love coding, and you know, I was in, in a school last week with George, with George. George is here somewhere. Oh, yeah, that's George, yeah. George is in my team. Um, <laughs> and I was in a school in there, and they were asking that, um, well, we want to know about you because we want to know about coding because the, the children said they all loved coding, and I thought that was amazing. So I think coming from a female person, it would certainly encourage other females, you know, and they were like, are oh, you the real creator of the game? Like, you know, we can't believe it, you know, and I thought... Mm, it's just some normal thing, kind of. But, you know, to them, it's not. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found, you know, so we women, we've got to try and do the same. And if we can go into schools and speak and help them connect their learning to their future, you know, it makes a big, big, big difference. Mm-hmm. And there's historically been a perception, hasn't there, that STEM subjects are for boys. You know, that whole thing, you'll ask a, a girl about technology and they'll say it's for boys or maths, yep. whereas they want to do English. My daughter is very creative and she was very good at football and actually we are getting her into tech. But how important, how important is it that, you know, that we make sure that there's plenty of girls kind of getting that interest in the STEM subjects in the very early stages so we can get them kind of through that funnel. Yeah, um, I'd say that, yeah, that's a very, very, um, I think it's a, it's a key thing. Um, again, the numbers are very low um, in STEM. I mean, I remember even just, even in my degree in computing, um, you know, there weren't many of us girls. And then going on to like year three, where I chose to stay on with Java, I don't remember any other girl in the class except me as a program, as a person loving programming, and then going into investment banking. I worked in five different investment banks over over, over the years in London Wall, and every team I was in, I was the only girl. Yeah. And how so, was that? Um, it was bittersweet. <laughs> so it was. It wasn't fun on the side of on 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 the well. It wasn't fun being the only girl on one side, because when men do whatever things that they like to do, <laughs> they talk about their kind of things, and I didn't have anything to talk about. Um, and some of them would feel sorry for me and come and talk about it's something a little bit more girly. And I'm not really a big... I don't know much about football, and I mean, I know a little bit, but not enough. You know, I tried to learn, but I think I failed at that. Um, but secondly, on the other, on the other hand, um, it did feel a bit special, you know, walking in and, you know, I'm like the only girl, so walk in and sit down and I'm like okay hello <laughs> it's that whole thing of using difference as our superpower right right exactly absolutely yeah you know, and I felt special as well so it's bittersweet well you are special I think we can all agree <laughs> on that so let's talk a bit about the business can you give us some quick facts on like scale of the business so how many of your games there are out there in circulation how many of you are there in the team how many markets are you in like blow us away with some of those kind of top line stats yeah um, we are a small team actually we're only about five of us so we're trying to do big things even though we are tiny Um, and we're in 12 different countries Um, a lot of it from home I started on Amazon Um, I had two young kids when I was trying to launch the game and I thought you know I couldn't go to every store where would I put the kids like who'd pick up the kids for me you know and all that so that wasn't possible so I thought what can I do from home to prove the market and actually prove that this is good and this will work. 
And I couldn't believe, you know, all the support that I was getting from especially massive organizations. Amazon coming to me at the show and saying, oh, we've been watching your game. And I'm like, oh, big brother, you know, <laughs> we've been watching your game. We've been watching, you know, how you're selling on Amazon and how you've done your listing and all that. And then we would love to partner with you. We'd like to buy wholesale and sell retail as a distributor of yours. So I'm like, oh, wow. You know, so I got all the sort of, you know, the sort of things, you know, the honorary doctorate, BBC saying they wanted to interview me and all that. Um, it was very, very... Um, it was very helpful, mm -hmm. uh, to say the least. But I started mostly from Amazon and all these 12 countries, we just started selling into them just from Amazon. Well, that's amazing. I've got loads more questions for you. Are there any questions in the room, though, before I move on to one of those? So you're talking about your journey. It sounds like it's all been a bit of a walk in the park. But I think what people like to hear often are about <laughs> those moments, those moments where you thought you might not make it, perhaps cash was running out. You know, you talked about grant funding. I'd like to come back to that in a second, actually, to find out a bit more about how that works. But yeah, those, what have been some of those kind of tipping points where it could have gone either way and how do you overcome those? Yeah, um, I think... First of all, because when I go to trade shows, for example, again, I'm usually the only girl creator of a STEM kind of product. So it also isn't fun. <laughs> and a lot of the time when it's time to go to, like, we've got one next week, but uh, that's the education shows. So, sorry, week after the next, that's the education shows. So there'll be more females in that. But especially in, in the games shows, in the hobby market, especially, you know, it's all, they're, they're all, Mostly, mostly men, and I stand out like a sore thumb. Um, so every time I'm in those shows, I actually always have to remind myself while being on there that, okay, you can do it, you can do this, you got this far, you, you can do this. Um, in terms of, what was the other question, sorry? So we were, we were just talking about how you, you know, those tipping points, those tricky moments, how you kind of dig deep and get yeah. through them. So, so, so that was a good example, right? When you, I think, again, you talked before about imposter syndrome. Um, so just reminding yourself, you know what you're talking about. You're supposed to be here. I think that's a really important message. Have there been any other kind of tipping points? I know cash can be difficult, you know, finding the right talent. Have there been any, you know, kind of crucial make or break moments for you? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one big thing has been where I couldn't, I found it really hard to replicate myself to have somebody like me as well because I, I saw that uh, my friend is here, Ursula, and you know she knows what, what I've been through in terms of trying to find a partner kind of person but that can actually also represent me so that I don't have to do everything even though I do have a team and they are great but you just sometimes need a little bit more as well. You always find that you need someone else to do this or to speak about this or sell it better. And in those times, I keep thinking, well, can I make it? I mean, even just a couple of months ago, I was thinking the same. Can I make it in terms of being able to get out there and get into more countries and get licenses as opposed to just distribution, which are, you know, much bigger deals uh, for us. So, it, it, and, and then in terms of cash, you know, we've had that, you know, during COVID, it was, you know, it, it was hard mm -hmm. because then I'll, I wasn't sure that we would make it, but had, just had to keep going. And I didn't want to apply for grants, actually. I'd have rather not had to do applications upon applications, but it was the only way to be sure that if there was any chance at all, it was just doing something and creating more games and creating more resources and then trying to build those partnerships. And, you know, we've been very fortunate with the 
people with the, with the companies that we got on board with mm -hmm. us who, who are strongly really, supporting us. Yeah, some really good insights there. I think particularly around trying not to become a bottleneck yeah. because you've got people working with you, but then you still have to be the person who finally kind of signs off on Absolute. all the decisions. Everything. <laughs> Is delegation something that comes naturally to you? I think it got better as I'm time. I'm looking at your team, I'm very for that. <laughs> George. <laughs> I think it got better as time went by, but I think last, last year, um, I just started to realise that I, I really couldn't do everything and I was going to have to get other people to do it for me. I would love to go to every single school myself. Like, we are running into school tournaments next week for 10 schools. There's just no way I can handle all of that, you know, and we have people uh, in schools calling, literally calling for my head, saying, we want Grace to come and talk to the kids. We want Grace to come and see the kids. You know, so last week, I asked George to go with another of our team members, Kaylee. I said, well, just go. They'll be fine. And guess what? They came back saying, oh, we want George to come. Now the children love George. And then the next day, they, were, they came in asking, is George in today? I'm like, no, of course not. He can't be in. You know? So, um, yeah, so it, it's this, it, it's, it's, it's just getting better at delegation because without even trying to delegate anyway, we won't really know what things that we can see um, that others can do or not. So I've kind of been learning their strengths from just trying different things and sometimes it might not work, then I'll have to take it back home. And, some, and a lot of the time it works and then you see strengths that you didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And what I'm also hearing there is about trust, right? So Absolutely. trusting them with your brand, trusting them with this mission that's clearly so close to your heart, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so just quickly on the, on the grant funding, because we had a conversation just now actually, and we barely touched on, on grants as a form of funding. So we were talking about equity finance, debt finance, when's the right time to raise investment, when's it right to bootstrap. I'm sure you've done much bootstrapping over your time. Um, so uh, talk, talk to me a little bit about the grant funding kind of and the process that you have to go through. And surely it's kind of worth it in the end because you don't have to give it back. So yeah, um, tell absolutely. us a little bit about that, even after all those painstaking applications? Yeah, um, I mean, the process for grant funding, I kind of stumbled upon grant, fund, uh, grant applications just because I, you know, um, I couldn't raise investment as quickly as I wanted to because in COVID, where stock levels were low and we couldn't get our stock in on time, um, you know, our stock was stuck at the butter, no pun intended, but it was stuck at the butter of, um, you know, when Brexit happened. So then we started to look at what other funding pieces were out there and one day I attended a webinar by University of Greenwich and they were talking about ERDF funding, European Regional Development Fund and I thought they're not going to think my game is that great for them to fund it but they, apparently they do because then they decided to fund the app um, that we were developing which is basically a digital version of Race to Infinity but f with a few other things, augmented reality um, with a few other things in it. Um, also with Peabody Trust, you know, again I was thinking because it's, it's our game that we're trying to get funding for to say we want to take it into schools and we want to do this with kids and raise their, their, um, their, their maths levels. Um, and then while doing the applications, you know, they always want to know why, what's your story, where did you start from? And, you know, I told the truth, like, I feel sad when I see children who are struggling with maths. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is my game. And here it is on Amazon. And we sell it, yes. But we would love to get this game into schools because we know that it can absolutely help children. And I'm just so grateful that I got those grants because now we're seeing timetable results um, where the children are actually getting better at their timetables and getting more 100% than they had at the start of when they started playing the game. 
just plain once a week. So it's, it's, it's pouring everything you have into grant funding and just applying and saying, you know, here I am, this is what I'm doing, please support this so that we can use it for this end goal that we're trying to reach. And make sure it ties to the sort of things that they are looking for. You know, so what are they looking to do? Peabody Trust is one of the largest landlords in the UK housing providers. I think they believe, I believe they've got 66,000 homes. So they're trying to help their residents to upskill. So then that's where what we do ties into that, like we can help use residents of, of skill, but through games and reduce mathematical anxiety for them. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like they definitely saw the promise in you and what you're trying to achieve. And thank goodness for that.